Welcome to the Underline Podcast. Underline seeks to embolden and equip those who have been called to a life of service. We strive to create a community where iron can sharpen iron, and believers will boldly live out their faith as lions. Thanks, everybody, for joining us at the Antoine Podcast today. Josh and I had the special privilege of getting down and sitting, talking with Eric Meyer and, and Jason Williams, founders and vice president of the It's Not Okay Project. So I just want to say thank you, you guys, for what you're doing. And it's awesome to see and awesome to look at your website. Uh, and we're just going to use this episode to unpack what you guys are doing and the benefits and the awesome stuff you're getting into. So first off, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. I know the time is a little different. But a little difficult, but thanks for joining us and coming on tonight. Thank you guys for having us. It's a pleasure. Thank you guys. So let's just start off by talking about what the Not Okay Project is. For those of our listeners who haven't heard it or heard of it, what you guys are doing, like uh, it's the first responders helping first responders. Got it. We see that in the in the videos on your website, but it seems like so much more than that. Like, how would you describe, you know, Eric, Jason, whichever one? How would you describe your organization? It is so much more than that, and that's kind of what we built it to be because. Coming from first responder world, there's so much need for something like this. But with the stigmas and the connotations around being hard, not letting your emotions show, not really breaking down those walls, it was hard to find something like that. And that's why I wanted to start it. Because what I want this to be for people is a safe place to come, knowing that they can talk about something that they went through. They can express feelings that they wouldn't normally express. That this can be their safe place outside of the unsafe place that they're working in. And I didn't want it to just focus on one element. I didn't want it to just focus on one person or one line. I wanted it to be first responders as a whole, whether it be firefighters or correctional officers or police officers or nurses or EMS workers. Everybody experiences trauma in different forms and different lines of work. And that's how I wanted to set this up to where anybody can come to us, express that emotion, the pain, the feelings that they're having, And then allow us to take it from there to where when you're in that state, when you're hurting, when you're looking for someone, the last thing you want to do is to start jumping through hoops to try and find the necessary resources. But if we can be that resource for you that says, we know what you're feeling, we know what you're going through, and we want to help, let us take the reins. That's what we wanted to be. Uh, I mean, that's awesome. Like, let's just break that down because I think it's extremely important. And especially when we, we talk a little bit more, I mean, looking at the first responders, the people that are, it's, it's difficult to kind of break them or get them to open up and be a little bit more vulnerable. So how do you all go about accomplishing that? It's hard. And I think that that's why having first responders working with the Not Okay Project is half the battle. Because as many people will say, if you haven't walked in my shoes, you don't know what I'm going through. And it is hard because Someone who hasn't worked the front lines, who hasn't seen the egregious just death and harm and violence and just sadness out there that they see on a constant basis, then it's hard to relate because the general public doesn't understand it. And I think with having first responders, with having first responders' spouses, with having families that have grown up in this kind of help and understand the community that they're helping in really takes on that security for active first responders to come and seek us out. Because when you come to our project and you choose to decide to talk to a first responder rather than 
a chaplain, you know that you're talking to somebody that understands what you went through, that understands that the mental toll, the physical toll, the emotional toll that you went through just a day, two days, maybe two months ago that it had on you. And they can relate rather than, because me personally, I've gone to counselors and I've tried to express some feelings or some hurt or some trauma that I've been through and they don't understand it. And you can automatically recognize it quickly that they don't understand it and that this is just another person, another job, another paycheck. You automatically just shut down. You don't want to talk to them anymore and you just go back into that habit of building those walls. And so really establishing first responders, working with first responders is huge. That's definitely, it's just kind of natural, right? It's a natural human tendency to want to assimilate and like get to know somebody or work with somebody who's actually experienced what you've experienced. I think that's, that's natural. It's one of the cool things about your project is, is it immediately levels the playing field. And once people, it makes that, that breaks down that initial barrier, especially because the way that you all do it is because you have mentoring programs, right? I saw the mentoring programs. I and mean, really the big thing that I saw is the retreats. Mm-hmm. So what does a typical retreat kind of look like for first responders? We actually have one coming up. Due to COVID this year, it was postponed, but we have a large retreat coming up next year in August out at Hume Lake in California. And this is an amazing time. We've chosen a place where it's out in the middle of nowhere. You're up in the mountains. There's no cell service. It's a getaway. This camp is completely designed for these type of retreats. They've held retreats before. It's a faith-based center. It's Hume Lake Christian Camps, and they have a few sites all around the United States. And it basically just allows time for the first responders and their spouses and their families to decompress, to get away, just to completely get away and say, we're putting all of the stress, the chaotic craziness of whether it be 2020 or whether it be some calls or whether it be whatever it is, just putting it behind us for a little bit. And it allows them to go up into the mountains and to release that stress, to be able to say, you know what, I'm not going to worry about what just happened a month ago, a week ago. And while they're up there, everything's taken care of. And what's really cool at Hume Lake is they have fishing, they have four by fours, they have axe throwing, they have ropes courses. They have, I mean, you name it, the food's covered, the lodging's all covered on your registration, and you don't have to worry about it. And also up there, we're able to partner with a few organizations as well, and they're bringing up counselors to where if it's a time to where you just want to get away and just kind of talk and get some things off your chest because you haven't been able to, or maybe it's not covered, or maybe it's just, again, that hard outside wall that's built up to where now you're able to kind of break that down for a day, a half a day. And it's right there in front of your face to say, Hey, if you guys want to come to the seminar, come on in and we'll chat. And you're able just to kind of get that off the plate to where you can go home lighter. You can go home with less stress. You can go home and hit that giant reset button. We want to just make these retreats an escape for people. For me, when I was in law enforcement, I knew I just needed the weekends away with my family, or I needed just that little vacation just to hit that giant reset button and feel refreshed when we come back. And that's what we want to make it be up at Hume Lake is just a giant reset to where they feel refreshed. They feel that they're able to go back, tackle it. Because one thing that we've always preached and I've even talked to Jason about is if you have a healthy first responder, you're going to have a healthy partner. You're going to have a healthy department. You're going to have a healthy city, depending on where you're at. But on the adverse side of that, if you start to get a beat down, run down, 
begrudged officer, firefighter, EMT, whatever it is, that starts to play into the daily habits. And if you're able to kind of fix that habit or fix that that emotion and go back and reset yourself, it pays dividends to people on the outside, the people that you're coming in contact with, the people that interact with you daily, your partners. It's just all over. Yeah, there's there's a good analogy I just heard actually from a song with a first on another episode or an interview. And he used the analogy of the fire, right? Like, so like that fire, especially being in relationships with your family, your, your partners, whoever it is, you know, it's, it's easy to put out a small weak fire if it starts to rain, right? But if you have a giant big bonfire, it's hard to put that out. So even in the austere, you know, the craziness that goes on in the work workplace, it, your fire's not going to go out. You're not going to lose focus, right? Because you've built up that fire. If, you've, if you try and protect and preserve a small fire in the rain, it's going to be very hard to do. Right. So you got to make sure that that thing's strong before you go into it and you don't lose, lose ground. Right. And that's kind of like what we were, we want to prepare them with. Cause like that analogy, if they have the tools to fight that fire, then that's what we want to provide them. Because sometimes people will come in and they don't have the tools or the resources to know how to fight that battle, whether it's right. an emotional battle or a physical battle. But if we can give them the necessary tools to fight those battles, then they can go back and wage that war. And what a time you know, in our country where this is so needed too, because, you know, I I really haven't been on the front lines of a lot of the civil unrest that's been going on, but through our ministry, talking to a lot of guys across the country and, you know, you guys are hearing it too, I'm sure where guys are like not even allowed to go home over the weekend. And it's been, you know, protest after protest after riot. And it's like, how many weekends can you get bottles of urine and, you know, bricks thrown at you before you just mentally can't, you know, either you snap or you just turn off, you know what I mean? So like, you know, you, I, I totally resonate with what you're saying, because even in just the day to day, when you start to get tired and those little interactions, such a traffic stop or just a missing person call and you're rude and you're kind of just like not kind, and you're not loving, you know, what a missed opportunity because that person remembers that interaction for the rest of their life. And you just kind of, you know, destroyed that image of the department and, and police officer. And as a Christian, you know, that opportunity to share the gospel or be a light. So you know, I, I think that's really, really important. What you guys are doing is awesome. Absolutely. It was kind of a, I mean, for me, it was just kind of a daily thing of when I interacted with, like you said, whether it be a vehicle stop or whether it be a ped stop or you're on a domestic violence call, that interaction, no matter what it is, is that person's impression of you, your department, law enforcement in general, your partners coming in next time. So it doesn't matter how low that fuse is burning. You have to be able to turn that on. And it was always that analogy for me of just that fuse that I mean, at the start of the day, start of the week, you light it and it just slowly starts to go down and it's hard to not let it let all the way get to the bottom and just let that bomb blow. Because once that bomb blows, not only are the repercussions for you, but again, it's in this day and age, who knows who's videoing or how it's going to get turned or what it's going to get back to the department. So it's just, it's a healthy balance of being able to recognize that in your own self and recognizing it, but then doing something about it. You talk about the fuse you find and all the, the first responders that you've helped. Have you found more often than not, it's just that long drawn out stress that gets the people where they mm-hmm. finally are like, hey, I'm done. Or is it because I know on your website, you talked about your particular like a certain event that you experienced that was like, this is not like we are not good. I remember it was a pretty powerful mm-hmm. video with you and your wife. Yeah. And it was like, do you find that it's usually like the slow burn stress that people will turn to you? Or is it like one big? kind of uh, stressful encounter that 
causes them to say, like, whoa, I need to adjust? It depends on the situation or the event. The people that have come to us, I've seen a lot of people come with that long drawn out over time, just that stress that hasn't been dealt with. Seeing it constantly day in, day out, and not doing anything about it of saying, hey, I'll get this work done next week, or I can fix this myself. And by that time, two years has gone by. And it's that accumulation of stress that's built up that now they don't realize the side effects, but the family does because of the anger outburst and the partner does because of the bad beat partner or whatever it is. And, but there has been times, especially like you said, like myself to where it's a huge, huge event, the death of a partner or a shooting or any event that is traumatic. And it could even be something, everybody's levels are different. So whether it's not a shooting, as I remember, I had a very traumatic baby death call and that sent me into a tailspin for a while. So it's just kind of a person by person basis because everybody just has that different threshold of what's their trigger and being able to find that trigger. You don't know necessarily sometimes until you've actually been exposed to it. And that's, that's the hard part. And that's why we're always here for people because somebody could have a great 20 year career and not experience that trigger yet. And then the next day something happens at work and that's their trigger. And now they, now they have to deal with that. So, and that's why we're here for them. I guess it also too depends on which which first responder role that they're in. You know, fire is going to have a different trigger than a B cop. You know, a, a B cop's going to have a different trigger than someone who's in corrections. You know, for example, the, the triggers that I experienced or my partner's experience, I know that they haven't experienced on Eric's level or possibly Josh's level because we don't get that daily interaction with, you know, your outside citizens. We deal with everyone is incarcerated. So I guess the trigger points would be a little different. You know, we're still seeing the same, the same situations, um, whether it be a riot or something of that sort that a normal individual is not really technically able to process or see, not supposed to be seen. So that's a whole new set, right? Where it's like, yeah, you're getting paid, but you're just sitting in that, that uh, facility as well. So right. like, that's a whole new set of stressors where, <laughs> you have to make sure you're reset so that you don't lose your, you know, your edge and something bad, right. you know, something really bad happens. So I could definitely see that. I think one of the coolest things about it is that, I mean, you look at the people in the profession, right? The first responders, right? A lot of kinetic people, a lot of people who are like stay active. So I think that's one, one thing, especially as a, like a Christian a faith-based organization where you don't have to just reach out. Cause I imagine there's some apprehension from some first responders who it's like, Oh, there's a faith. I don't want to get Christianity shoved down my throat. But it's like, no, this is, this is so much. There's other things that might draw them in to be willing to hear about the message that you guys have, which I think is, is absolutely, unless I'm a little off the base on that one, but that's, that's one of the things that I think is really cool about your organization is that I feel like a lot of people would be drawn to it, whether just a believer or not. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's why we kind of set it up to where it's not anything that we're going to shove down your shove down your throat. It's not something that we're going to lead with, but we're going to be able to have chaplains available. We're going to be able to share stories of faith. But if not, and you're not of a Christian faith, that's what we're here for too. We're also secular to where anybody and everybody can come in and feel welcome that we don't turn away anybody based off race, religion, ethnicity, anything like that. Everybody is a family. And that's what we, that's what we go to work with, whether it be whatever department, whatever beat partners, whatever, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. 
the family that you have that bonds together and law enforcement and fire and first responders is tight. And then that's what we're looking for is we're a family. It doesn't matter who you are or what you are. We are family. Awesome. I imagine you've had some great feedback just from like the spouses, the family members of those first responders too, after a retreat, because I guarantee it's made a huge impact uh, on the family, the home life uh, when you get that final reset. So that kind of, what would be the most rewarding aspect? So obviously you get to see a lot of people probably at their worst time or or one of the low points in their life. What would be a, one of the more rewarding aspects of your time with you know starting It's Not Okay Project? I would just have to say, just seeing the journey of people, of knowing that that there is hope, that being able to share hope with people of we signed up for an amazing career and what we took on is so honorable and what they took on is so honorable. And seeing that stuff doesn't lessen the burden, but knowing that they can come here, that we can share hope with them, that we can come hand in hand, side by side with them, not in the front, not in the back, but to be able to walk through that journey with them and to kind of see them come out on the other side of such trauma, but then just to such happiness and being able to enjoy life. It would say that that is, that's super rewarding, knowing that somebody puts their faith and their trust in you and being able to take that responsibility on and lead them down a path that's going to be rewarding, not just for themselves, but for their family, for their departments and for their cities. That's awesome. I love that. I imagine this has been pretty impactful, not just for the first responders you've interacted with. How has it impacted both of you all in your own personal life? Because I imagine it's had pretty large impacts, negative, I'm sure negative or positive. What would you all say were the biggest impacts that, you know, since you started It's Not Okay Project on your life? So since starting this, I mean, starting it kind of from the ground up, it was a huge impact because I started it because I was searching, because I was hurting. And I, after the shooting and death of one of my partners, I was going through a lot of stress. And it got to the point to where I was having heart murmurs that were uncontrollable that were putting me into the hospital and panic attacks that I was hesitant to recognize because I thought when going into the hospital and the doctor saying, hey, you just had a panic attack, I thought, hey, doc, you're wrong. I didn't just have a panic attack. There's something medically wrong with me we need to go do some more tests. And after the years went on and the more trauma that I had seen and ensued, and then being able to have those signs and symptoms come afterwards, really put into perspective of maybe there is something more going on and I need to start searching for something. And so there wasn't a lot out there. And that's why I wanted to kind of start this because departments have great things in place for their employees all over the United States. But Being an officer and knowing the hesitancy of going to your own department to admit that, hey, I'm hurting or hey, I went through this and knowing the stigma that comes along, I wanted to create this to where it was a third party, to where it's not necessarily associated with a department, to where if somebody goes to it, it's not an automatic association of, hey, that person's going to go back and tell my sergeant or, hey, that person's going to go back and tell my battalion chief about what's going on because that's a that's a big factor for some people of why they don't want to say anything. So I wanted to create something that was basically kind of standing on its own to where we could have that, that confidentiality of knowing and having the first responders know it's not going anywhere and it's staying with us. So being able to kind of let go, to create that, to kind of start it in myself first and realize the effects that it truly has, has been huge. And it wasn't just huge for me because 
being able to release that for me had huge effects on my family, of my marriage, on my kids. And the stress took a huge, huge toll on my kids. My kids are nine and six now. And until they were about eight years old, I was in law enforcement their entire lives. And it was just a lot of stress that they shouldn't have to deal with at eight. That separation between home and work is hard, especially in this day and age of the world that we live in. And being a first responder, you're only out of it when you come home and go to bed. And when you're in law enforcement and fire, you're right back in it, especially if you live in or near that community. It's huge. You just can't shut it off. So being able to have that and have that release and being able to have that that hope moment was huge. So it's been it's been a great, great project. Great things for us. Great things for the family. That's awesome. What about you, Jason? Kind of piggyback off of what Eric said. Yeah, I was with my peer support department for with my department for close to almost five years. And while it was a good thing and it was it was rewarding, it, it felt that there was really no gratification coming from it. You know, I wasn't really assisting anybody. They didn't want to reach out. Like Eric said, they have that that stigma or that moment of well, if I tell this person, it's going to get around the whole institution, and everyone's going to know my business. So when I seen Eric launch the Not Okay Project. It was like my calling. You know, I've got two boys, nine and six. I wanted them to see me do something more than just be a correction officer. Having an outlet to where my partners could come to versus it not just being with the department. I've had multiple already reach out because they, I don't know if it's they feel safer or they feel like it's more, you know, uh, the confidentiality is more there than it would be reaching out with your department spirit support, you know, working with Eric and, and seeing that the people that we touch, and it may not be an immediate response or reaction that you get from them, but over time, you'll see them change. You'll see attitude adjustments, you know, families a little tighter, them happier. That's where the, the gratification comes from. You know, it's, it's busy, you know, we're, yeah. we're constantly busy doing something, but that's where my gratification comes from is seeing the response they get, the happiness that they, that they find again after coming to us. That's awesome. So it's almost like just this project itself has been a huge encouragement to both of you all starting to yeah. see the growth and the progress of other people. Uh, that's, that's incredible. I love hearing that. And it's one, one of those things where, and Eric, you mentioned earlier, just, you don't care. It doesn't matter about race, ethnicity. It doesn't matter. First responders, first responders. We're not going to shove anything down your throat. Like talk about like just caring for people who are in a dark, tough time. Uh, I think that's, like the genuine passion to help others succeed is one thing that would definitely set your ministry, at least from not that I've seen a ton, seen a few, but just look at your website and look at the videos and what you guys are all about. I think that's one of the most encouraging things I've seen from the, uh, what you guys post for your, like for our listeners out there who want to find out more, would the website be the best place to check that out? Or do you guys have you know, Facebook? Do you guys do anything else? We do. We do have all social media on Facebook and Instagram. And also our website is a great place. It gives kind of a breakdown of everything that we have to offer, kind of shows a little bit about who we are and what we have and events coming up or even how to donate, which is, which is amazing. That's awesome. What would your encouragement be for that police officer who's a Christian right now and who's just tired from 2020? Because I feel like that's a lot of people we're talking to right now is just that I'm tired. You know, I just, this has been a long year, just all these things going on. What has been your encouragement in, in those situations? 
for us just talking with people and just having conversations, it's just about hope and strength, but not just hope and strength, but where does it lie? Because we can have that hope and strength in ourselves and it's only going to get us so far and we can only push so far. And as 2020 goes and the way that it keeps going is that the hope seems to be kind of dwindling and you can only get on your own strength for so long. But if you kind of lean into God, his word, the strength that he has of this is not our forever home. This is not where we're staying. And as crazy as this gets, we have so much more to look forward to. And we're down here for a short period of time that we're just a mist and then it will be gone. And in that short amount of time, how much good can we do? How much impact can we have? Whether there be craziness just all encompassing us from every side, all it takes is that one little candle in the dark to light everything up. And if you can light that candle and then you can light that person next to you, it's just kind of like that that imagery at Christmas when everybody gets the candles and they light it going down the aisle and they light up an entire stadium. It all started with one and it's just got to keep passing along. And if you're that person that puts out the candle, it's just kind of some self-reflection time of do I light a candle or do I put it out type thing. So that's, that's kind of the hope and story that we kind of just share with people that it is dark. It is trying. It is hard. It is stressful, but there's hope. You got to push through and you got to look for others and don't be afraid to lean on each other. Don't be afraid to say, you know what, this might be bigger than me. This might be something harder than I can't handle right now. And I need my brothers. And that was a hard thing too, is in first responder world, we preach that brotherhood, but when stuff came down to it, you just get that hard bodied first responder brotherhood of suck it up and keep moving. And I think honestly, down inside everybody, we all want to be there for each other, but we feel like we have to keep this stigma of this macho man alive. And if we just embrace each other and just kind of one thing that I've, I mean, since Jason's known me and since, I mean, you can ask anybody that knows me. One thing that I've constantly lived by is just this simple slogan of be human, just be human and know that you need to do good. And that's it. And that was how I took out my day-to-day life, even in law enforcement, was just just because I wear a badge and a gun and have a uniform and a job, I'm still human. I'm still going to help out every single person that's next to me, no matter who they are, what they are, how they are. It doesn't matter. Of Just be human. That's good. I think uh, that's something that a lot of people could take into account, right? Like remembering that first yeah, of all, are human. They're not just some you know automaton acting on behalf of some other higher nefarious power, which I think a lot of people, you know, have a tendency to get caught up in. Before we close out, just what are some ways that uh Enter Lion and, and the people listening could be praying for you guys or supporting you guys and your your efforts with uh, it's the Not Okay project? Of course, we're always looking for donations because we are a nonprofit. We run basically solely off donations. And a hundred percent of the donations go strictly to first responders, to our retreats, to the counseling, because the counseling is paid for by us. So the officers or firefighters or anybody, they don't have to worry about the burden of having that cost of counseling. We take that on and we pay that for them. So donations are always welcome. But again, just prayers and word of mouth as we grow, especially through this time of COVID of just kind of us and businesses making it through, but at the same time, also first responders having it ramped up basically of it's just this kind of teeter totter right now and being able to pray that 
just everything works out and being able to pray that just for first responders in general as a whole, that they're able to have that peace in this chaotic, chaotic world right now. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on. I really do. I appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day. We wish you the best of luck. We'll be praying for you and supporting you in any way that we can. Uh, just thanks again for hopping on with us. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having us. Thanks again for joining us at the Line Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you want to find out more about what we're doing, you can find us on social media or join us on our website at Enterline.co. Again, that's Enterline.co.